Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our wealthmanagement.com industry awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealthies Podcast. My name is David Armstrong. I'm the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And this, as you know, is the podcast where we speak to finalists of our wealthmanagement.com industry awards. And joining me today is uh, Andrew Shart, the head of global investment strategy for Hamilton Lane, which is a finalist in two categories, I think, this year. Andrew, thanks very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Hamilton Lane, because I think as we were discussing earlier, it maybe is a name that's not as familiar to our traditional retail wealth management audience in the U.S. Yeah, sure. So Hamilton Lane is a financial solutions provider, but we focus exclusively on advising our clients and helping them navigate and invest in the private markets. And so what that means is all shapes and forms of private equity, private credit, real asset, or anything falling under sort of that private uh, investment category. Today, we're a publicly listed company um, and our footprint is a global one. It spans in this asset class of the private markets over $700 billion of private market uh, investment uh, capital that we manage and oversee. And so it makes us one of the largest players in this space, which is, as you point out, relatively new to to many groups of investors, even though we've spent our entire 30-year existence focusing on nothing but investing in the private markets. Sure. And uh, Hamilton Lane recently acquired uh, uh, 361 Capital, uh, correct? Absolutely. And, and so a yeah, lot and of our- that, That's a name I think that wealth managers maybe in the US are a little more familiar with. Yeah. And, and I think so much so our business historically has been built, I guess, in that more legacy institutional investor category where the private markets and private equity and private credit and real assets are a bit more familiar uh, traditionally. That said, I think there's opportunities um, within the sort of RIA wealth management segment where we can expand our presence and a big part of our distribution efforts in that area is a group 361 Capital based out of Denver that has focused on servicing those RIA wealth manager channels um, you know, through traditional long short equity funds, et cetera. And so there was a lot of synergy between the products, the offerings that we have in the private markets with the distribution footprint and the channel strength that 361 brings to the table. One of the uh, categories that uh, Hamilton Lane was recognized by the judges for was under uh, new product development for asset managers for the Global Private Assets Fund. Do you want to tell me just a little bit about that? And and then we can break into maybe just a broader conversation about uh, private equity in wealth management. Yeah. And I'll keep coming back to the theme of expanding access of the private markets to new groups of investors. And as you point out, the private asset fund is our U.S.-based 40 act tender offer fund structure that we have created to make it more seamless and simple for newer groups of investors, namely the RIA and wealth management channels to invest in a diverse portfolio of attractive private market assets that take advantage of that experience that I went through earlier that Hamilton Lane, again, being a specialist in the space and focused on it for now over 30 years, we think we can create a unique and differentiated offering. And so the idea really is to bring our thinking, our deal flow, our access to the private markets 
to newer groups of investors and that fund structure in particular, which allows for monthly subscriptions, some level of liquidity on a quarterly basis, really fits well, we think, with what those investors are looking for, as well as getting an opportunity in the private markets that they may not have presently. So it's a it's a little bit more of a liquid fund than what maybe a general partner might get in a private equity fund of sorts. Correct. I think one of the big drawbacks of the private markets historically has been just what you pointed out, David. It's it's long dated, it's illiquid, it's traditionally investing in a closed end 10 and 12 year fund partnership. And what this evergreen offering or semi-liquid fund offering, the private asset fund brings to the table is the ability to not only invest in the asset class, but in a structure that is almost akin in some ways to how these groups of investors are used to investing in mutual funds, for example. You're buying into a built out pool of assets. You can subscribe on a monthly basis. There isn't some fundraising cycle that's only open for some period of time. This fund is continually open. And then on the liquidity front, as you point out, while we want the investors to treat this and anticipate that these are long dated um, illiquid investments generally in the portfolio, should they need to rebalance, should they need some level of liquidity, this fund structure unique to those more traditional structures does have the ability to provide some level of liquidity to investors. And explain to me why uh, we've seen a lot of movement around this, uh, you know, your notion of democratizing private investments uh, and bringing them kind of, I don't want to use the word downstream, but I guess, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, widening the gate of, uh, of who can uh, get into these investments. We've seen a lot of activity there. Is it largely because there's more opportunity for returns there? There's a greater diversity of investment options there, or is there like a shrinking pool of public investments? Uh, investments that uh, are available. You know, we've seen a lot more of companies that stay private longer than they have in the past. I think the number of uh, publicly traded equities on the markets has, I think, shrunk. I don't know. You probably know the stats more than I do. Um, What's going on there? Why is the private investment market so appealing or should be appealing or holds opportunity for investment managers and uh, financial advisors? Yeah, David, you, you hit the nail on the head, actually. It's it's almost all of the above of, of what you described, and I'll take each one piece by piece if that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, it has to be the returns. And one of the benefits, and we have lots of data on the private markets that others just don't have because they're just that private, but because we've specialized this in 30 years, we actually have lots of actual industry data, cash flows, et cetera, that help us analyze how have the private markets done relative to your opportunity in the public market. And the biggest benefit and why we see, you know, those traditional institutional investors continue to lean in, continue to increase allocations on a relative perspective, mostly into their private market strategies. It's because of the consistency of outperformance over long-term time horizons that the private markets continues to generate. And why is that? It is because partially the private markets are not an efficient market like the public side. In the public realm, obviously, there's a a set of opportunities that everyone has equal access to, everyone has equal information on, not necessarily the case on the private side. And so because it is somewhat inefficient relative to the public markets, you can, for those that are able to access private market opportunities, that's a big if, but if you can access the right companies, the right investment opportunities, 
you can generate that consistent outperformance that again, institutional investors have benefited from for a very long time. The other point is why should you want to be in the private markets? And one of the pieces you hit on was the diversification benefit. Um, you're talking about a universe of companies and I'll throw a couple statistics out here quickly. In the United States alone, if you look at the number of companies that are public and private that have over $100 million of revenue, so real sizable businesses, there's several thousand, I think it's three or 4,000 that are public at this point that fit that profile. There's just under 20,000 private companies that fit that profile. So the opportunity set is much more vast as well. And so there's a diversification benefit to not only getting access to some of those unique fast growing opportunities, but also in terms of in the context of a traditional 60-40 portfolio, what that diversification brings to the table. We talked about the returns, but the other piece of this is volatility. More muted volatility than you would likely see um, under public structures. And so all of those different things, the broader diverse opportunity set, the consistency of outperformance with the potential for lower uh, volatility is what has investors liking and leaning into this space. Yeah. And do you, um, when you're out speaking with financial advisors, retail financial advisors, not institutional investors on these opportunities, are you getting the sense that they understand it? Or is there a skepticism of the private markets that a lot of them still hold and think, you know, money tied up for a long time, not sure what's going on, not to, uh, you know, disclosures are a little wackier, it's not as transparent and just not that comfortable putting my clients into this, into these kinds of investments, or are they starting to get the understand the opportunity? It's a bit of both. And so I think by far, and if you ask me what is one of our key initiatives and challenges that we're seeing, it's the educational piece of this market. Because not only do we have to be more transparent and, and sort of offer data and things like that, that we have and we can utilize, but I think a lot of, as you point out, a lot of the not only underlying clients and investors, but the advisors themselves aren't as comfortable, aren't as familiar, or don't understand some of the dynamics that I just went through within the private markets that allow for that consistency of returns performance and why there is a, a, a sort of data proven benefit to having or adding allocation to the markets in the private side. Um, so one of our big priorities, and this is even back to the 361 capital acquisition, is we want to make sure our investors and advisors know we have their backs. We're gonna be out there educating. We're gonna be alongside them, helping them understand the asset class. What are the risks as well as the potential upsides to the market uh, in the private side, but also how to talk and make talk to your clients, how to help them understand what is the real sort of liquidity profile? What is the real duration profile? Because we want to be more transparent, more candid than historically what the general private market asset class has been, which I'll go back to a comment I said, it's been just that too private. It's been too much of a black box. And I think these channels, strategies and structures like we've talked about that allow not only those investors to come in in a way that is easy, but also that is reporting more frequently, is providing transparency on the investments, on the performance on a monthly basis, not quarterly, for example. Those are the types of things we need to do as managers in this space 
we need to do a better job of educating and supporting our advisors so they are equipped to help uh, their educate their clients as well as themselves on the benefits of this asset class. Are you just um, sourcing the investments uh, from uh, established like private equity funds or venture capital funds or debt funds or whatever they might be and bringing them onto the platform or are you running these investments yourself? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of different models out there. And because we have relationships with literally thousands of private equity, venture capital, growth equity, credit managers, um, one of the fundamental pieces of our model is we are sourcing deal flow or direct investment opportunities um, as a partner to many of those um, other general partners who are also out there canvassing the private company landscape to look for those opportunities. And so I think you're coming to a question, David, that's a really important one in terms of, well, what could go wrong or why can't anyone just go and say, I wanna do, it's because that access, access is not created equal in these markets. You need to have the teams that know how to find these opportunities. You need to have the experience in terms of creating value over longer term horizons and a real track record in the space and so I think that is one of the things as we think about portfolios that address these newer channels of investors, we, we also think you can't, you have to build these funds in a way that you are managing the risk return liquidity and duration. And for us, that means better access directly to private companies, whether that's in the credit part of the capital structure, the equity part of the capital structure, or what we call secondaries, which are essentially seasoned portfolios of private company assets that may exist in a fund structure. Those tend to be across those three options, the shorter duration, the more liquid uh, end of, the, um, you know, of the, the spectrum. And therefore we think makes sense in the context of a semi-liquid fund like we're talking about. Now you have to be an uh, accredited investor for your funds, yes? Correct. So there's different thresholds, accredited or qualified client. And so most of the funds are one of those two, um, those two specifications. I think we saw in the previous Securities and Exchange Commission uh, uh, commissioner that there was an effort to lower the bar for accredited investors to kind of widen the, the gate to let more people who maybe aren't as sophisticated or don't have the net worth into uh, private investment funds. Do you think that's a good idea? I think over the long term, yes. And so I'll go back to something personally. My, both my parents were public school teachers. And I think back to their sort of, now that they're in retirement, what would have been different if they had had access to the performance you know, for 30 plus years of teaching and having you know, the benefits that, that came with being able to access private opportunities directly. That said, I think we're a bit of a ways off from you know, those types of investors on an individual basis. So we'll take out having a fiduciary and intermediary, but really understanding the risks around the asset class because there are risks. Mm -hmm. um, these tend to be more speculative investments generally. The duration profile is going to be longer. And so even though funds like the private asset fund have mechanisms for liquidity, we want the investors to be able to understand the types of companies and opportunities that the fund will be investing in. And I do think that having it at the AI accredited investor or qualified client threshold 
helps the regulatory agencies as well as the underlying managers themselves ensure that they're talking to investor groups that do have the right sort of perspective from a risk return standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it strikes me that, you know, running a fund like this, you kind of have your eyes cast wide on uh, uh, everything, what from private equity, debt, uh, venture capital, I imagine there's some real estate, uh, uh, you know, across the spectrum. Uh, what are you seeing now just in the markets generally? Uh, you know, where are we? Uh, it seems very frothy out there in terms of uh, the, the stock market, at least. Multiples are very high on, on publicly traded companies. Where are we in the market overall and where do you see opportunity or where do you see danger? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. And I think you're, you're touching on a lot of the themes and questions we get across the board every day. And, and again, just Hamilton Lane focuses on all those areas that you mentioned. I think within the context of the private asset fund that we talked about, it is focused on mostly private equity that can mean growth, late stage venture to your more traditional buyout, um, as well as you know buying existing pools and portfolios of ac- assets that are mostly equity oriented. We do have the ability also to invest in private credit within this fund, um, which helps with some of the liquidity duration and volatility mitigation. Um, we are not doing any real assets uh, in this strategy. But that said, the, the combination of those elements that I just went through, I think allows us to be a bit tactical in how we're seeing and shaping the portfolios to make sure we're delivering you know, a consistent outperformance to maybe what someone is focusing on from an equity return standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so a premium to maybe what the S&P 500 or the MISCI um, world is generating. And I think where we think of value creation, certainly there's been more of a trend towards growth recently. I think you've been compensated. And if you've made the right investments into the right businesses, the frothy valuation market has only sort of helped enhance the overall return benefit you're getting because you're buying a growth asset in a period that, you know, you think back 18 months ago, folks were worried about where the world was heading. We're worried about the volatility. Now we're at a stage where, you know, there's more of a risk on mentality. And so for those that leaned into growth appropriately, and and our fund had a a reasonable allocation there as well, you're also benefiting in the form of where the valuations are trending today. As you point out, that's what we sort of focus on in our underwriting, our diligence. And that's a benefit of the asset class. We are not focused on flipping assets, you know, every quarter, every month, every year. We are thinking through, if we have to hold an asset for three, four, five years, how are we going to create value as an active investor, not a passive investor, that even if we sell the asset for a price that is lower than these peakish valuations where we're buying today, what are the different levers we can pull in terms of creating value? And so from that perspective, I tell you, um, you know, we like to lean into assets and opportunities where there are multiple levers for value creation, whether that's through, you know, organic top line growth, whether that's for being a platform in a private company that can acquire, can roll up, can buy other smaller businesses in a fragmented space, but then also still having the ability to, you know, toggle or be a bit nimble when you do see the value opportunities. And I'd be, you know, the last 18 months, I think the value side of the equation has been one that has been underplayed, but I think 
we continue to keep a close eye on it and have played value in a number of different ways outside of the traditional context, because we think that increasingly, especially if you're talking about you know, the potential for rising rate environment on the horizon, you do wanna be thoughtful and have a strategy should rates rise, um, should valuations kind of come down on the public side temporarily, how are you investing and thinking about that? And that's where that long-term value creation spectrum that the private market manager looks through really can add a tremendous amount of value. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I should also mention uh, before we close out here that uh, Hamilton Lane was also recognized by the judges for the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion category for asset managers for the Undergraduate Women's Private Equity Summit. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to tell us about that. I think you're just uh, helping uh, bring together uh, uh, undergraduate women for a, a summit around uh, uh, finance or uh, career paths, uh, professional development, private markets. What is that uh, about? Yeah, listen, I think that's that's one of several programs that we manage. We have another called Girls Who Invest, but diversity and inclusion are a huge part of not only programmatically some of the things you just went through, but our culture and who we are. We need more representation, especially in our industry, um, from women, from minorities and others that you know have been underrepresented historically. We think there is a real benefit in that um, from a return standpoint, from an investment standpoint, as well as in terms of the benefit of creating a more diverse global organization. And so we are big believers in all those things. And on the program you mentioned, absolutely. It is meant to foster, shepherd, and bring to light you know, more of the professional um, sort of uh, upsides in, 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 in training and utilizing our existing footprint, which includes roughly 50% of our employees who are uh, vice president or above are, are women. And, and that's a stat we're, we're proud of. Um, and that's something we want to continue. We want to see others doing that within our industry and beyond. And I think we try to be at the forefront of that um, with programs um, like that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's, that is unusual for financial services to have 50% of the global employee base, uh, women and ethnic minorities. And I think I heard 44% of the firm's senior leadership, uh, women and ethnic minorities. So that's great. Uh, that's, uh, you're far ahead of the curve on, on that one. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, this has been great. Uh, uh, any final thoughts for our audience? You know, uh, um, I think uh, we'll be hearing more about Hamilton Lane uh, in the future years, I'm sure. Uh, uh, you know, what's next for you guys and where where might we hear from you again? Listen, I think we are going to continue to prioritize and focus on, as we always have for the last 30 years, expanding access to the private markets to newer groups of audiences. And, you know, I'm very appreciative for the support of, of groups like yourselves that are helping us sort of educate, as I said, and be more transparent and show what types of benefits investors that can now access this asset class in ways that hadn't been available, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, we think that's a good thing for the asset class. We think that's a great thing for the investors, given the opportunity set that it opens up that maybe hasn't been there historically. And so we're excited to help be at the forefront of that expansion as well. Fantastic. Andrew Shart, Head of Global Investment Strategy at Hamilton Lane. Thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thank you, David. And you have been listening to The Wealthiest Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. Talk to you next time. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com. 